0: gospel this morning is from John chapter 18 verses 15 through 27. I should mention right away that uh, the mysterious other disciple that comes up in this passage is John himself, the author of this account. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly. To the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said." When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, "'Is that how you answer the high priest?' Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about that wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster rooster crowed. This is the gospel.
1: Let's pray. Father, I ask a simple thing this morning, that you would use the words that come out of my mouth, that you would open up all of our hearts to see Jesus for who he truly is. You would bring us hope, comfort, conviction where needed, But that you would use this time that we would see you and that we'd be driven to worship you more. Amen. Well, today, since we're looking at someone who is quite known to be overly confident, um, I'd like to start off with a definition of hubris. I saw this definition of hubris from Oz Guinness. And I think it's a good place to start. Os Guinness says this, hubris is not simply arrogance, but it's a presumption born of the illusion of invulnerability. And that's why nations at the height of their power and prosperity are especially deaf to warnings. So hubris, Guinness says, is, is not just simply arrogance, but this illusion that nothing can hurt you, that you are invulnerable. And throughout this gospel and others, the Apostle Peter has been the most outspoken and, shall we say, the most overly confident of all of the Apostles. We look back just in the Gospel of John. We're going to look a lot in in Matthew also because these these accounts uh, are are throughout the the Gospels, all four Gospels. But back in chapter 13, just recently in the upper room, Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him before the rooster crowed. And Peter denied that what Jesus said was actually true. In fact, he added this to, to his words. He said... Jesus, not only is that, he didn't say not only is that not true, but he said, I would lay down my life for you. And when Jesus tells him this in Matthew and in Mark, Peter says this, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Even if I must die, I will not deny you. And in Luke... Jesus gives him a warning. He says, Simon, Simon, this beautiful way of speaking to somebody you love and care about, with this this repeating the name, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. that He might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And a little foreshadowing here going on about what may happen. He goes on and says, Jesus says, And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter, of course, said, Thank you, Lord. I'm so grateful for your words of encouragement. No, that's not what Peter said. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Peter seems to have a pretty high view of himself, doesn't he? A lot of confidence. And just as the Apostle Paul, you know, remember the Apostle Paul talks about the reasons he has to boast in Philippians. He talks about all of his credentials, his, his birthright, his, his adherence to the law, his being a Pharisee, all these things he had to boast. Peter had some pretty good credentials, too, about being with Jesus just to kind of look at where Peter's confidence came from, maybe, or where, where he was getting all this, this, this uh, uh, buildup. Think about the things that Peter did with Jesus. Think about the ways Peter was, was um, out front in so many of these things, so, many of the, so much of the ministry of Jesus. Think about walking on water in Matthew 14. He's walking on water. I mean, Jesus. Wa- who else could say they walked on the water with Jesus? Peter, Right? Yes, he was sinking, but but the Lord saved him. He was out there. Lord, let me come with you. Then, of course, in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks right up. You're the Christ, the Son of God. And what Jesus does from there is Peter Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You know what? You got this from my Father in heaven. Imagine that. Imagine that, that God the Father revealed this to Peter and Jesus is telling him that. That's amazing. And Then Jesus goes on to say, and and you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. Wow. Not to mention, Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle. That inner circle of James, John, and Peter. And when they went to, 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 uh, when, when Jesus took them up, he took only those three to see the transfiguration in Matthew 17. He took them to pray. They were part of his inner circle. And then one more, one more reference here, Matthew 19. Jesus said to, to Peter and the disciples, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This was after Peter said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, you know, we left everything to follow you. So Peter's always speaking up. He's always in it. Peter's on quite a high as he's with Jesus. He gets smacked down every now and then. But think about the things that he's done with Jesus. Think about the titles that Jesus has given him. Think about the, 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 the temptation to be proud of that. But now, as we're in John 18, we're going to see Peter take a humiliating nosedive into a lukewarm pool of cowardice. This story, as I said, it's included in all four of the Gospels. Why do you think it's included in all four of the Gospels? Not everything is included in all four, but this is. This is a significant point in not only Peter's life, but in the life of the Gospel, in the story of the Gospel. Maybe this account provides an opportunity for us to see how the Lord shapes us, how he shapes the hearts of his disciples. I think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We're going to see the whole gospel laid out here as we see Peter sink to this low place after coming in sounding so confident of his ability. Frederick Beekner, who just died, I think, last year, has a book called Telling the Truth, just a small book. And he talks about this form of the gospel. He talks about the gospel being tragedy, comedy and fairy tale now when I say fairy tale when he says fairy tale he's not talking about something that's not true but something in the sense of what draws us into fairy tales the beautiful endings the beautiful what 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 fairy tales are all about something that we want to be a part of so great redemption things we want to see and fairy tales always have these beautiful endings these climaxes this the struggle but always these beautiful endings So we're going to start off with the tragedy of human failure. We're going to see that first. We're going to look at the comedy of grace. And finally, we'll look at the fairy tale of redemption the gospel played out in this passage. We look at verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, which Bruce was saying that that's, that's believed to be John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door so the other disciple was known to the the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. As soon as the servant girl saw him, she said, aren't you also one of those guys who was following Jesus? One thing to note, she already knew one of them because he just, he's the one letting Peter in. And so she's saying, aren't you also one that's following Jesus? Peter right away, I am not. Now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was so cold. They were standing and warming himself. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. See, the servant girl seems to already know one disciple. And to be fair, let's just say that Peter was caught off guard. Let's just say that maybe Peter was caught off guard. He had a quick reaction. Maybe he's a little bit intimidated in this environment. But at the same time, think about the confidence he went into this whole situation with. Every time Jesus tried to warn him, every time Jesus was talking to him about, Peter, Satan wants to get you and sift you like wheat, but I'm praying for you. Just be aware of that. Peter's like, no, I don't need it. It's kind of what he was saying. I'm good. I'll go to death with you, Jesus. Jesus. You know, John, John's version of Peter's denials is is probably the 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 um I guess the the kindest one to to Peter. Doesn't say a whole lot. It just says he denied him. But look what Matthew adds. After, after Peter denied Jesus, he says this. And he began to invoke a curse and swear, "I don't know the man." Some, you know, th- what this says is he, he, he invoked a curse on himself. But there's other translations and other commentators that believe he was actually bringing a curse upon Jesus. He was, he was invoking a curse on Jesus because what he was doing is he was proving that he, was, he had nothing to do with Jesus. And I'll prove it with what I'm saying. It was pretty strong. He just wasn't coming in and saying, no, I, I don't know. Him. He was being emphatic and making sure everybody knew it. Think about how this amplifies the shame that Peter most likely felt by being in this situation. Think about what this does. You know, we can jump on Peter for denying Christ, but think about the weight of shame that Peter was dealing with. Go back to all the things that Peter said, all the things Peter did. All the things Peter was with Jesus. And how many times he said, I I, I would die for you, Jesus. Everybody else could leave but not me. I'm not going to do it. And he goes in here and he fails three times. Just blows it. Three times. Beekner says, beneath our clothes, beneath our reputations... And beneath our pretensions, we're all vulnerable to the storm without and the storm within. What clothing was Peter using to cover himself? What clothing was Peter using to protect himself from those storms within, those storms without? Trust in himself, self-confidence, his position with Jesus perhaps, Jesus said at one point he was setting his mind on the things of man and not the things of God. And I think that was something else that was keeping him from humility in this situation. What about you? You know, it's easy to read this and look at Peter, but how many of us can relate to what Peter did? How many of us can relate to being under pressure and giving in? At one point sounding like or feeling like we are confident we can go in and we could be a witness for Christ, whatever that may be. And we go in and we're intimidated, we're fearful, we're scared, and we blow it. You ever been there? I certainly have. Peter's trusting in all the credentials he had from being with Christ. You know, you know, Paul talked about his credentials, but he said, I count them all as rubbish. I think Peter gathered them up and brought them in with him, holding on to them. See, through this interrogation, which, by the way, was primarily with servants, nobody of any great authority, Servants, through this interrogation, Peter came face to face with who he really was. All of it was stripped away. All that he thought he should be, this strong, confident stalwart for, for Christ to stand there and be, his, be his, his solid rock, was all stripped away. Peter was left looking at himself and seeing who he truly was. He wasn't immune from temptation. He wasn't immune to fear. He wasn't invulnerable. It was all stripped away. What's interesting is, is that uh, Peter, in, in a couple of the other accounts, says, I don't know the man. I don't know Jesus. And reading Frederick Buechner in this, he says there's some truth to that. Peter didn't know Jesus. Peter didn't know Jesus for who he truly was. And sometimes I think we could say that about ourselves as well. How well do we know Jesus? How well do we place our trust our entire selves in his care. Beekner goes on to say it's with recognition of our tragic nakedness and need for true shelter that we have to start. Where is that shelter? Where's the shelter that we need when we're left naked with ourselves in all of our vulnerability? That's where we come to the Savior, who, by the way, if you notice this passage in John, if you notice the way he has this, he has the denial of Christ, uh, uh, the denial of Peter, and then he switches over to the trial with Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? Jesus is in, not far away, by the way. He's in with the authorities being grilled, being interrogated, being beaten, and telling the truth and standing in and saying what he would, would, would say for, to, to answer the questions that he was being asked and being firm because Jesus was there for the whole purpose of buying the redemption for Peter and for you and for me. While Peter is denying Jesus, while Peter is, 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 is calling down curses, Here's Jesus going off like a lamb to slaughter, beginning his own humiliation. That brings us to the comedy of grace. As I said, you don't see much comedy in this, but the comedy comes in the fact of what grace actually is and what and how God uses us. This is what Beekner's getting at. When he's talking about the tragedy of, of human failing, that's the beginning of the gospel. We are, we are all failed. We all fall short of the glory of God. We can all relate to Peter in one way or another because we've all failed Christ. And then there's the comedy of grace. This is what, what Beekner says about that. He says, the gospel is bad news before it's good news. It's the news that man is a sinner, to use the old world, that he is evil in the imagination of his heart. The, the old word, I'm sorry. That he is evil in the imagination of his heart. That when he looks in the mirror, all in a lather, he sees at least eight parts of chicken, phony, and slob. That is the tragedy. But it's also the news that he is loved anyway, he's cherished, he's forgiven. He's bleeding to be sure, but also bled for. That is the comedy. While Peter's denying Jesus before the house servants, Jesus is in the court of the high priest going through all of the interrogation. Verse 19 says, The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me. Ask what, what I said to them, and they know what I said. By the way, this is Jesus calling for witnesses. They were supposed to have witnesses in this trial. But they were just questioning Jesus directly. And my understanding is, they, usually a, 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 um, a court like this, a courtroom like this, the defendant wouldn't even speak. They would bring witnesses. And Jesus is calling for witnesses. And when he calls for witnesses, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, how is it that you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong that I've said. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? So Anna sends him away because he has nothing more he could say. Tim Keller points out that Peter, in the midst of his failure, this is is where you see some of the comedy coming in of God's grace. That in the midst of his failure, as he's denying Jesus, this is the very one that Jesus chose to be one of the pillars of the church. I think Peter probably laughed at that at one point. You mean, I'm, I'm... I'm called to be the the, one that's going to start this church. Knowing who I am, knowing what I've done, that is the comedy of grace. Because every single one of us, where we are, every single one of us, what we've done, where we've been, have been called by Christ to be ministers for Him. Do you ever feel like you have no business doing what you're doing? that you have no business being a Christian because of what goes on in your head, because of what's going on in your past? Jesus knows that, but he's called you anyway. He's called you to be his servant. He's called you to be his minister. So why did this happen to Peter? Only the Lord knows for sure exactly why. But it appears as one church father says that remembering his own sin... Peter might have mercy on other sinners. I think that's the beauty of going through what Peter went through. I think that's the redemptive purpose of going through what Peter went through. God not only brought him down to a place where he stripped him clean of all that he had his own confidence in about himself, but he demonstrated to him that you can't do this on your own, Peter. You don't have it. You never could. I never wanted you to go in this by yourself. I never wanted you to depend upon yourself. I wanted you to depend upon me. I was sharing with somebody the other day about my own story. And um, after going through a situation in 2013, coming away very bitter. I was really bitter. Some of you knew me that. But what's funny about that is, prior to that, I didn't understand bitter people. I thought bitter people just needed to get over it. I really did. I'm not proud of that. But I thought, how could you be bitter and be a Christian? I'm embarrassed to say that, but that's how I thought. And it took me getting stripped down of all the things I was depending upon. It took me having to go through my own time of bitterness before I could start really understanding people who were bitter themselves, people who were hurting for different reasons. I think the Lord gave me ears at that point to try to listen to people and try to understand the stories of people's lives and how he uses those times and how he uses us to care for one another. Peter, the humiliation that Peter went through was not for nothing. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you that the the humiliation, whatever you go through, Whatever it is, whatever failure, if you're in Christ, it is not for nothing. I'll even venture to say if you're not in Christ, he may be doing something with you. It's not for nothing. He's using that. I know it's hard to trust that. I know it's hard to believe that he's actually doing something when when we're left with nothing and feeling totally humiliated, embarrassed, like an outcast. Or just like a failure. But God is using that. He's working in your shame. He's working in my shame. Imagine the depth. Think about this. One other thing to think about with Peter is imagine the depth of shame, weakness, and failure that Peter felt after that, knowing that he could not see Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and died and what was the last thing Peter saw was Jesus look in the book of Luke talks about Jesus looking at Peter after he denied him doesn't say what was on his face leaves that to the imagination I believe it was a tender loving look but it had to pierce his heart imagine that and you can't go and say hey wait a minute I'm sorry you couldn't go back and redo it You're left with that pain. You're left with that shame. You're left with that humiliation. And that is the worst place to be when you go through this time of failure and shame. And then you have to wait. That's a miserable time. That's a miserable time. But that is the time when God is working. And I know it's easy for me to tell you this right now because I'm not necessarily going through that. But man, when I do, it is so hard. And we need one another to remind ourselves of that. So what was the remedy for that shame? Honestly, it's all useless unless there is redemption. This fairy tale of redemption that Beekner talks about. All of what Jesus was going through was the beginning of achieving the redemption that he came for in the beginning. Beekner says this Zacchaeus climbs up a sycamore tree as a crook, and he climbs down as a saint. Paul sets out a hatchet man for the Pharisees and comes back as a fool for Christ. It is impossible for anybody to leave behind the darkness of the world he carries on his back like a snail. But for God, all things are possible. That is the fairy tale. Altogether, they are truth. And why is that fairy tale true? Why is that beautiful story true? Why can we, when we we go through our shame and humiliation and our failings, why is it that we can have hope? Why can we have hope in any kind of humiliation? Because of Christ's humiliation, because of what was going on next door, because of what was going on with not only his humiliation, but his death, even death on a cross, and then on Easter morning, when he rose from the dead and started recreation, started that fairy tale, started redemption from the very beginning, a new day dawned because of what Christ did. He was despised and rejected by men, Isaiah says. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. What did he do? He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. John later wrote, My children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does, we have an advocate. You have an advocate in your failings. You have an advocate in your shame, and that is Christ Jesus the righteous. And Paul finally tells us in Romans 8, If you're in Christ, no matter what your failings, no matter what your sin, no matter what your past, no matter what you're carrying on your back, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you're feeling that condemnation, it is not real condemnation. It is the condemnation of Satan trying to tell you that it's worthless. But what we see of what Christ did on the cross, and by raising from the dead and giving us new life, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, turn to Him. If you don't know Christ, turn to Him today. If you don't know what that means, talk to me. I would love to meet with you after. Turn to Christ for the peace that goes beyond all understanding, for the forgiveness nobody can offer and for redemption and new life that is beyond our imaginations. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your redemption. Thank you for what you did for us. May we grasp it. May we cling to you. And may we never let go. Amen.